Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24:14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Well, Cammie, it has been a long time since I've seen you, since we've been able to talk, but uh, welcome to Resiliency. Thank you. It's great to be here, Silas. It's good to um, see you after all these many years since we've been together in the, in the fall. So, yeah. Thanks. Cammie and I go way back to, I think, the year 2000, 2001, when she came to visit us in Nepal, um, not visit, but to work with us as an intern. And so... Um, Cami since then has moved to Sierra Leone and she's been serving there in, in uh, Crew Bay and uh, in a slum among vulnerable people. And so, Cami, I don't want to take the wind out of your sails. And so I just want to give you some space to introduce yourself and your family, share a little bit about your life and your work and uh, help our, our listeners who don't know you like I do get to know you a little bit. Silas, thank you very much. Um, yeah, let me, yeah, I'll just go back to the beginning. Um, I was born in Colorado, and um, um, I come from a broken home. My father left when I was five, so I was raised by um, my mom, who worked very hard, and I was a latchkey kid, and I remember being about um, five or six and watching watching cartoons and seeing an ad of probably the famine in Ethiopia at the time. I'm sure that dates me a little bit, but... um, I just remember looking at the video and wondering, like, that, that advertisement and wondering, like, why are people living like that when they're living like this? And by no means were we rich. We had a tiny little apartment, and I think on food stamps at the time. But um, um, my heart just, I remember just at five or six going, I want to do something about that. So um, fast forward to high school. Um, and I was really depressed and a bit suicidal. And, and um, a friend told me about Jesus and how I was, I was really ready to check it out. And he's like, you know what? God can work everything together for this. And he loves you. And that gave me hope. And so, and it put me on a different path. And thankfully, God brought people around to show me Jesus' way of being. Very serendipitously, Christians started showing up and mentoring me. Um, so um, that's kind of the, and then I really wanted to go to Africa and help people that were physically um, vulnerable and um, hurting. So just to share with them the grace and the hope I had received. Yeah, so I went on to study missions at Biola University after high school. And I had to learn Christianese for the first time in my life. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a bunch of foreign letter words in our vocabulary that I had to very quickly edit. So Anyway, um, through some different twists and turns after my undergrad at Biola, I, I taught for a long time at a low-income Title I school serving immigrants in Southern California in a gang area. Did that for about eight years before um, I came to visit you, Silas, in Nepal. And um, 
that was such a joy to be on that servant team in Nepal with you and Kim and Gautam and Reka. Um, I think one of the highlights of that experience for me was the foreign scripture Bible study that you did. That just changed my life, just seeing all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's overwhelming concern for the vulnerable um, and the outcast and the widow and the orphan. And um, It's funny, I have a minor in Bible and I didn't really hear that <laughs> in all my Bible classes. Um, I had to go all the way to Kathmandu to understand that. And um, that, yeah, super transformative and compelling for me. So after Nepal, I, Nepal and serving with, with um, Wordman Flesh in Nepal was kind of a hoop I needed to jump through so that they, Wordman Flesh would uh, allow me to come work in Sierra Leone. Um, I had heard about the blood diamond conflict and seen um, child so stories of child soldiers and the atrocities of, of um, soldiers and rebels amputating people's arms. And my heart had just over the years been broken for Sierra Leone. So after Nepal, it wasn't too long after that that I was able to come to Sierra Leone and I was all excited to be here and be an intentional Christian community, um, serving Jesus among the most vulnerable, as, as our motto says, with Lord make the flesh. And um, you know, I'd left my job and my home and my family and my supportive community. And five months after I arrived in Freetown, um, that community kind of disbanded and left. The, my predecessors were burned out and sick, and um, for a variety of reasons, they left. And I found myself, quote unquote, alone, um, which was a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, and it kind of hit some of those abandonment issues that, that from my father leaving at five. And so it kind of sent me through a loop. Um, but over time, God brought other people and support from, from unexpected places. And um, slowly I began learning the language and the culture. And um, all during that first season, we were volunteering with local initiatives, um, a good uh, children's club in the slum, Hubei, where we still work, and then a local initiative serving youth living on the streets. Over the years, more staff came along and we focused more in on the vulnerable slum where we still serve. And up to this day, we serve kids and teens and women in prostitution. And uh, we have a whole manner of holistic ministries and support programs that support our relationships in the, in the Kuve slum area. You know, I led that community for about 16 years. Um, and now, in the last year, they've asked me to be the regional coordinator. So I've kind of stepped back a little bit from our, the local involvement here in Freetown. I oversee six communities throughout Africa and Europe now. I don't personally know your story yet, uh, but Silas told me just enough for me to, to say, you know, I don't want to sensationalize your life in any way, but you have served in, in and through some really difficult situations and in a context that's been extremely challenging. We can hear that just by you saying your, you know, your first uh, intro there to who you are and what you do. Like I say, not to sensationalize anything, but we'd love to hear you just describe some of the difficulties that you faced, Cammie, uh, you know, starting with the living conditions that you found when you first got to Freetown. Yeah, um, thank you. 
when I first got to Freetown, it was a it was a bit overwhelming. There were um, about twenty thousand UN peacekeepers on the ground at that time, if I remember right. Um, and so there was military trucks and people with you know military men with guns and, and barricades and all throughout the city right after the peace uh, peacekeeper control. So. There's not a lot of water in the city. Um, even to today, it's a struggle to find to wash or do laundering sometimes. Um, so that's a constant um, question mark of how we're going to get enough water to sustain our way of life <laughs> so, <laughs> to drink. Um, although it's improved greatly over the years, I do have to say um, they've, they've made some improvements on the water. But uh, the system here was actually built to serve about 100,000 people, and there is now over a million people um, in the Freetown area. So water continues to be a constant struggle for many people um, day to day. Um, and often kids go without school because their family needs water. So you see them carrying containers, searching around the city for water. Uh, lots of lots of weeks and weeks and months and months without electricity in the early days. Um, and that, again, has improved greatly over the years. Um, they have a new hydro, well, not new, but a now more working and efficient hydroelectric system. But still, uh, the, our electricity can go at any moment, even during this podcast. <laughs> um, and we don't have any idea when it'll come back. So... Um, in the early days, the internet was minimal to non-existence, um, so it would take weeks sometimes before I could connect with my family or the U.S. office. Or your early community days, I was, care coordinator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, but you know all about that. So, um, yeah, there was some, there's can be harassment as a white woman living in a, a community of Africans. Um, there's been quite a bit of harassment harassment, um, mostly verbal. You know, I know that some of our other women in fields like in India were touched and things like that, and that's never happened to me here, but lots of verbal harassment. Mm. Uh, in the early days, there was lots of riots, and I remember protectively running kids away from tear gas and, and people in riot gear. Malaria has been an issue. At, at one point, I was misdiagnosed. Somebody told me, a doctor told me I had stomach flu, um, told me to go home and wait it out, but I actually had undiagnosed malaria. Wow. And my liver shut down and my kidney shut down and there was no uh, way to treat that here. So I had to be um, flown out to get medical care. So those are some of my early um, challenges that we had to navigate. Cami, uh, in, your, in your work with the youth, I know that there's been a lot of trauma that you've been exposed to and that you work with the youth uh, to, to work through. Uh, could you share a story of how you faced and effectively helped those among who you serve through some of that trauma? Yeah, trauma is a reality to many of our, um, yeah, to all of us living in Freetown. Um, yeah, so when we first arrived, when I first arrived in 2003, um, my my predecessors, who are dear friends, they were volunteering with a local initiative called Lighthouse. And at the time, um, the Lighthouse program involved sharing a meal and um, stories of Jesus, um, praying with kids, teen, young teens, actually, living on the streets after the war. So that's what we were doing. And then this 
when one of my colleagues received some money from his church and asked this local initiative, what would you like to do with this money? Because um, certainly we're outsiders and we're, we're just guests and learners. And so they were like, well, let's, let's put some of the kids in school and let's put some of, you know, the, some of the youth that have been um, the teen, young teens, let's, let's help them to learn a trade like carpentry or tailoring those that have never been to school before so that they can have some viable income. And let's uh, expand our programs to include some tutoring and literacy and numeracy. So we did. And then um, we're like, that's great. And so we started doing that. And so fast forward about a year, year and a half later, for some of those kids to go to school, both boys and girls, we were giving them some lunch money so that they could have a meal while they were either at their trades training or at their school. And um, come to find out this pastor who was part of this initiative and, and um, a trusted friend to my former colleagues um, had been pressuring the young girls in the program to sleep with him so that they could get their lunch money and go to school, which I was completely unaware of for quite a while. Um, as you can imagine, that my heart was absolutely crushed when I found out about this. I've come to help and to serve, and now we're, I've caused um, great harm. So, um, so the girls were obviously traumatized, um, and I was traumatized. <laughs> Our team was traumatized. We had a few other people who had come alongside by that time. Um, so we, we offered holistic support to these young girls, um, medical assistance. And well, one girl in particular um, was the only one that we could find enough evidence of. Anyway, we offered her medical support and some um, psychosocial counseling. Um, and it takes a few minutes to share, but it took us over 18 months to walk through this situation. Um, we moved our programs um, out of out of the building where he, this man was overseeing because we felt like he was not a safe person. So we moved um, Lighthouse to a to a safer location of another partner organization. Um, we tried to press charges, um, although the girls family were against that. So we actually could never um, reach a conviction. Um, although we would make flesh fed to do everything in their power to, to bring this person to justice. Eventually the man apologized in front of the lighthouse youth and the leadership, um, which was quite healing, um, I think, um, and phenomenal considering the culture here where those things kind of just happen and are kind of accepted sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, as normal. And um, so that, I think that was a part of it. I think a lot of it, just in trying to help her walk through it, was just being available to listen and to help her, this girl go to school and to continue to try to be successful. Um, we have put in place a vulnerable person's protection policy, and we review that with our staff and volunteers and partners every year. So this last week we did it again, just so that we don't, going forward, we're proactively not gonna allow this to happen again. 
and these issues do crop up from time to time, but they're investigated, and, um, but we don't joke with that. I think some of the things we do in our programs also helps. We, we try to incorporate quite a bit of art therapy. I have an art therapist friend, and so we've done different projects over the years with her, which I think has allowed people to reflect on broken areas of their life through art, where maybe just the verbal counseling doesn't always get to some of those deeper root issues. And um, so we've done some mosaic projects. Um, we did a broken, beautiful photography project. And I think both of these, both the acts of doing those projects and discussing them in safe spaces has brought um, healing and hope um, from for this traumatic event that I've mentioned, but also um, other traumas that, that we've had to work through over this. Tammy, with you being, you know, the, the shepherd, the, the overseer of these young people, and then trauma happens to them, uh, you know, you're experiencing that secondary trauma. And how have you found healing? How have you found help? I mean, you've, you've done an amazing job of helping someone like particularly this one young girl. But, you know, um, what about you? Where have you found healing and help as you've been traumatized? Uh, that's a good question. Um, for me, I'm a journaler. I, I'm not a really great prayer, but if I can journal and pray and journal, like write it out, that kind of helps. Um, mm. I um, meet with a girlfriend to pray every Wednesday. Um, and we, we talk about um, these issues and we can pray together. I've had the opportunity a couple times to visit a place called Alongside, which Silas, I think you're familiar with. It's a counseling center for missionaries, and they do a brilliant job of teaching and counseling. That's helped me work through issues twice now over my long stint here in Sierra Leone, um, and they've been a huge support. Yeah, I just uh, so those are some of the main ways that I've tried to continue to work on my own well-being. That's wonderful. You you believe deeply in, in Jesus's words that whatever we do for the least of these, you know, we do it for him. So just wondering if you could talk to us about that heart of Jesus in you and maybe share a story about how you've experienced Christ among the young people whom you serve. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I've had conversations with several people recently where it's some of their own brokenness like for me as a kind of lonely as a as a child and as a latchkey kid it, it, some of sometimes it's our brokenness that God uses for our calling and mm. I think certainly when I saw images of youth here in Sierra Leone sweeping alone on the streets um, during and after the blood diamond conflict I was like, I, I don't think, I, I wasn't aware until recently but of that connection, but I do think it's true that sometimes from our deepest wounds, God can can use for healing for ourselves and, and the world um, is part of that. And your second part of your question there, just, uh, so, yeah, how have I experienced Jesus among the youth um, that I've served among there's a beautiful young woman that, that was an original lighthouse youth who, um, in some ways, people might call her um, quite simple in that she 
um, never learned to read or write very well, and, and that makes her quite vulnerable in this society. Um, but she just has, she has the heart of Jesus. As much as we've tried to help her, she helps me. Um, even in her, in her vulnerability um, and not having very much, and she often lives day, day by day. Um, here's a woman who I met living on the streets. She's come up through our programs. Even now she's still um, living with an aunt of hers and not self-sustaining, but um, she just, she has the heart of Jesus. Uh, like a few years ago, she saw a teen girl sleeping on the streets like she had been years ago. And this young teenage girl had a newborn hmm. with her. So my friend, this young girl, she just invites this teenager home and says, come, we'll find, we'll find some help for you. And so she brings this teen home, much to the um, sugar people she's staying with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're so happy. Um, and then the teenager's there for a couple days and then disappears, leaving the newborn. Mm. Well, this my friend, this young girl, says, I'll keep her, I'll raise her, I'll be her mommy. And so um, our wordmate staff tried to counsel her, encourage her, advise her, let her know of the risks and how vulnerable she herself was, but she was just determined. She's like, no, I'll do it. Um, and so she's like, help, help me do it the right way. So we actually, our staff helped her go to the Ministry of Social Welfare and get the documents she needed to legally care for this baby. And um, she has done a brilliant job. Mm -hmm. um, the girl is now in one of the better kindergartens here in town, a Montessori school. Wow. And she's bright and she's funny. And, um, and, I just, and she actually was one of the people that encouraged my husband and I to adopt because I've always wanted to adopt. But, yeah. you know, you have all these fears and can we do it and can we afford it? And I'm like... Honey, if, the, if this young lady can do it, we can do it. <laughs> so, hmm. um, and so, and just this last week, she's taken in another um, young baby girl whose mom had died. Um, and so now she's a mother of two. And, wow. uh, she's joyful and she sings and she, she loves Jesus and she's, connected in with the local church and, um, and God provides for her uh, in very miraculous ways. And I just think what kind of faith and trust is to walk with, with Jesus and show this radical hospitality and lay your life down for, for these vulnerable kids. Like it's, it's beautiful to me. And she challenges me um, day by day. So, um, she's my teacher. Wow. That's the exact words I was thinking as I listened to you. That's beautiful. Just beautiful to hear about her heart of love and compassion. She's seen that in you guys. Well, Cammie, what's something you, you now know that you wish someone had told you when you first got started there in your line of work? Well, my goodness, a lot of things. And I think people did actually tell me, but I didn't take it to heart. <laughs> yeah. um, I would tell people... Uh, to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. Like mm. I, we were trying to live so incarnationally at the time and so simply that any sort of self-care felt like a luxury and um, 
yeah, I was often sick as a result. And over the years, I've learned to eat well and exercise and take a Sabbath and, you know, like kind of balance that, you know, Jesus offers us abundant life, mm-hmm. even as we lay down our life for our friends and we live as living sacrifices. And I think he wants both. And I think, you know, but when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, like we don't want to offer a tired, burned out, half sick all the time. So mm-hmm. we want to a, a vibrant self, you know, um, I think of the old Testament sacrifices, there was no blemish on them. So like, so one of the things I've learned in recent years is really to take care of myself so that I be fruitful and really care for others, even though it may look selfish to others. I've really made exercise and good diet and sleep and Sabbath a priority. And it's really enabled me to serve in a much more flourishing manner. So I would, that's what I would suggest. Powerful needed word. That's so good, Cami. Yes. I wish that I represented that better for you when we, when we were together in Kathmandu. (laughs) I don't remember anything. I, I remember you just being a wonderful leader. I can't remember of one fault I could find with you. Oh, okay. We gotta we gotta shift gears there. Um, so, Kelly, <laughs> if you could if you could choose something, um, like a tool, uh, music, album, idea, or concept, uh, uh, in addition to what you just shared uh, with our listeners that would enhance their resiliency, what would it be, and why? Um, yeah, you know, I'm currently taking a class. Um, called the Certificate in Resilience Service through the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And um, it is brilliant. Um, The first module was all about people and and connectivity and building a firm, you know, really good community around you and healthy relationships, even tying into, you know, continuing to work on your past self and your past online. this most recent module was on um, practices that foster resiliency, um, daily, weekly, monthly practices that, that, that enable us to be resilient over time. And we're just now starting a module on purpose, and um, which I can't tell you much about, but it looks good. But it's been really great. Um, they've really crafted a really good experience for participants, which I'm hoping to actually bring back to our community in Freetown. Mm. Um, I found it, they didn't intend the, the program to be therapeutic, but it has been quite therapeutic and healing for me, even as, as it's imparted knowledge. And I think it would be super helpful for our community and our youth here in Sierra Leone. So I would I give a shout out to this course um, through the Seattle School, it's brilliant. So can you can you say the name of the course one more time, please? Yeah, it's a certificate in resilient service um, through the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Wow. I am writing it down, and I hope some listeners are too. Well, Cami, this is just this is gold. I'm so thankful to meet you today. I know a lot of people listening to us are very grateful that Silas knows you and that you became our guest today. You've uh, shared the heart of Jesus with us so much already. I was wondering, can you just pray, pray a prayer of blessing and impartation of that, that he's given you upon all of us today? Awesome creator. I thank you for each and every listener. Thank you that you carefully created each of them in your wisdom 
and love. May they experience your love and your grace day by day. Please bless them with the faith to trust your manna provision. Help them to practice Jesus's foot washing posture by serving practically with humility. As a shaky toddler walks with a parent, may they walk with you, trusting you. May they see your overwhelming love and concern for the vulnerable and courageously, radically embody and incarnate your love for widows and orphans and outcasts and the foreigners. Thank you that you promise never to leave them or forsake them. And thank you that you are working everything together for good as they walk with you in obedience. And thank you that your grace is sufficient for them and that your power is made perfect in their weakness. Yes, Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Cammie, thank you so, so much for your willingness to be on the podcast with us today and um, just admire you so much. And I'm so grateful for you and for your life and your friendship. Blessing to meet you, Cammie. Yeah, and you, Steve. God bless you. And thank you for all you're doing. I've listened to some of your podcasts and use them in some training. So keep up the good work. Good. Thank you. God bless you and Joseph and your husband. Bye, Cammie. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency. Resiliency.